0: Welcome to the Coaching at Henley podcast from Henley Business School. This podcast is for anyone interested in exploring the question, why coaching? Here, you'll be joining us in our conversations as we aim to spark provocative thinking, research, and practice in the discipline of coaching. In the Coaching at Henley podcast, we share our thoughts, experiences, and views on a vast range of topics linked to coaching and behaviour change. Each episode is split into segments where we either explore a piece of coaching related research and the implications for practice, debate a hot topic in coaching, answer listener questions, or learn from a guest speaker. Welcome to the Coaching at Henley podcast. I'm Rebecca Jones, an associate professor in coaching, and I'm joined in this episode by my colleagues Abudi Shabi, a lecturer in coaching. Hi Abudi.
1: Hi Rebecca.
0: Hi. And Verity Hannel, also a lecturer in coaching. Hi Verity. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. So in this episode, we're going to welcome a guest for our expert interview. We've also got a spotlight on research and we've got a coaching at Henley
2: Discusses. Thanks, Rebecca. So first off, we have our coach expert interview, which is where we share insights into practice from a subject matter expert. Our guest in this podcast is Ashana Crichton. Ashana is a professional development coach accredited at professional level with the ICF and master executive level with the Association for Coaching. Following a career in advertising, she embarked on her coach training to be of greater service to her team as a coaching leader. Her love of coaching as a person-centred intervention soon had her transitioning to coaching as a profession, founding her coaching practice, ARC Growth, in the US prior to moving back to the UK. She now works with influential leaders and underrepresented mid-career professionals on both sides of the Atlantic to increase personal awareness, create environments of shared belonging, and navigate real and perceived career-limiting challenges. As an external tutor at Henley Business School and with a position on the Association for Coaching UK leadership team in an accreditation capacity, she hopes to make coaching approaches more widely utilised to inspire new answers to today's global challenges and empower a more equitable, sustainable future for all. Hi, Ashana. Hi, Verity. Good to hear you. So let's start. Why do you
3: think credentialing might be important for an individual coach? Well, I think there's wonderful coaches out there doing great work, whether credentialed or not, many of which have done some training, some some haven't. But one thing that always strikes me is when people do embark upon a coaching credential, and that usually starts with some training, the first thing they say is, oh, Maybe what I've been doing today wasn't coaching after all. They start becoming more aware of what coaching is and what coaching isn't. And I think it's really important that we know what we're actually offering our clients. And so we've done that training. And with that training comes a good degree of self reflection, self reflection, and personal awareness. So for me, doing that self work while I was doing my coaching credential was really second to none in building me up as a coach so with that with that training with that with that self-reflection we're really offering credibility to our clients that we are the coaches that we can be thanks for that Ashana so when we think about
2: credentialing a bit further what why do you think it might be important for
3: client organizations or even the profession of coaching well, for client organizations, by knowing that you're working with credentialed coaches, you know what you're buying as a product. You know that the interventions that you're going to be providing for your people are due to ethical practices, for example. And also when you're when a coach's credentials, they're affiliated with a with a specific body and that They've shown that they're committed to professional development um, and also supervision, coach supervision. So I think that's important. So, you know, really by gaining our credentials, what we're doing is we're building consistency of that product and the research in coaching. So we're getting closer to to industry regulation and that's really going to build out our our profession and our industry as a whole. Yeah, thank you. I really value your answer
2: on that. So, In your view, what might be some of the problems with an increased focus on credentialing in coaching?
3: I think the cost of coach training can be cost prohibitive. And so when we think about the training you need to do in order to get that credential, that's not an investment that everyone can make. So without credentialing, we'd probably see a greater diversity amongst coaches, amongst the coaching profession. And so we might therefore say that increased credentialing could create a further barrier to entry for people. So, I think that's a real concern that we should be aware of. The other thing is that there are people that are doing great coaching for social impact or working with underserved communities. And without a credential, that work perhaps goes unacknowledged or perhaps lacks credibility. And let's face it, the remuneration for becoming an accredited coach as well. So, that's something we've got to be careful for. And I think it's worth saying as well that. If credentialing means to focus on specific competencies, we may actually find that coaching becomes more standardized. And for me, for example, I, I strongly believe that not every coach is for every person. And so we don't really want to make sure that we accredit out of us that nuance of humanity. Yeah, thank you.
2: And to follow that, when we're thinking about credentialing, you know, in coaching, we. We have different levels, don't we? So in your experience, what are the advantages or disadvantages for pursuing those higher levels of
3: credentialing? I've recently gained my Master Executive Coaching credential with the Association for Coaching. and can honestly say, hand on heart, that it was one of the more rewarding experiences that I've had since embarking on coaching and gaining my first accreditation. It made me really familiarise myself with my discipline consider my approach and how i'd developed who i wanted to to serve in my coaching and throughout that i really embarked upon a sustained and significant period of reflection supported by supervision so for me i really valued that and it massively outweighed any downside side of the cost and time of gaining that credential and i think that my clients and sponsor organizations also benefit from that that said well, actually i was reading something the other day and If you want to pursue a high level of accreditation, that often means, or it does mean, that you need to have more coaching hours under your belt. And those coaching hours, that that could be a bar, a bar for experience that is too high for some to pursue. So think about why you want to, to gain a higher level of accreditation. And if that's because actually you want to really just develop in your profession, you want to be a better coach actually those hours the piece I was reading said suggested that just because you do more hours doesn't necessarily make you better and so perhaps that's something that if you if you just want to undergo the professional development if you want to take the time as I mentioned previously to think about your purpose think about your approach think about who you serve then gaining that additional credential may not be the path for you. Thanks, Ashana. That really sings to me as
2: I'm going through my higher levels of credentialing and working through my path as well. Um, And listening to some of the challenges and the disadvantages and advantages you're finding really does speak to me. So thank you. So lastly, I, I know this is going to be a hot question, hopefully for our listeners, but what would your advice be for how coaches can choose which professional body to pursue their credentialing
3: with? How can you help them find the path for them? When I gained my first accreditation, it was actually in the US. And at the time, yeah, the, the AC, the Association for Coaching, didn't have a footprint in the US, and um, which is different now. So the ICF, ICF was the norm. It was where you went to when you wanted to gain your credential, it was the standard. But now the AC, as I said, does have that broader footprint. And it also offers a range of different accreditation options. So whether you want to have coaching for individuals, coaching for teams, if you want to do the executive coaching credential, if you want to be a leader, coaching leader, then there's a credential that might suit you. So there's really lots of options available. So I would really offer the advice of to start thinking about what you want to be accredited for and think about who you want to serve. Think about the region that you're operating in. And then rather than going with the default, perhaps find out which option is best for you and your continued development plan. That's really, really useful. Thank
2: you, Ashana. So that's all of our questions for today and the drawing to the close, the end of our interview segment here. Just want to say thanks, Ashana, for coming on. And I think you've provided some really useful and interesting insights into the whole credentialing process and experience for coaches.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Verity. Really
2: appreciate the opportunity.
0: So the Spotlight on Research segment is where we take a piece of research... Summarize the key findings and consider how we might use these findings to improve our coaching practice. So, in this episode, we'll be exploring a piece of research by Julia Carden, Jonathan Passmore, and myself, which was published in 2022 called Exploring the Role of Self Awareness in Coach Development A Grounded Theory Study. This was published in the International Journal of Training and Development. So this piece of research formed part of Julia's PhD studies at Henley into the role of self-awareness in coach development. And Julia wanted to explore the lived experiences of coaches in identifying the role self-awareness has played in their development. To do this, she interviewed 17 participants who were all experienced coaches with several years of coaching experience and asked them how they developed their practice. To ensure that the participants weren't led to focus on self-awareness, if this wasn't a theme for them, self-awareness was only mentioned if the participant used the term in their answer. And a reoccurring theme discussed by the participants centered on how developing themselves had the most significant impact on how they practiced as a coach. And this included how you might impact others as well as having an understanding of what's going on for the coach internally, for example, their feelings and thoughts. There were so many findings that were of interest in this paper, but one of them that was really interesting is the fact that self-awareness enables us to understand our identity as coaches, things like leaving our ego behind in coaching and developing confidence and managing anxieties. The research also did pick up on some negative aspects of development of self-awareness with the notion that personal development without a purpose could even be what one participant called a narcissistic endeavour. So, Abudi Verity, I'd be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on this idea of the negative aspects of developing self-awareness.
1: Thanks, Rebecca. I mean, I really do think that self-development, self-improvement, self-reflection without a purpose is largely a narcissistic endeavour or a self-soothing endeavour you know and I'm not saying that there's no place for that you know if we've experienced difficulties in our life it's useful to do some work on that but I think there has to be some purpose to it for coaches to do that and for me you know the self-development work that I do that I encourage my students and mentees to do is all about How can they be of greater service as a practitioner to the people they serve? And I also think there's a parallel to draw in terms of the coaching session. You know, we talk a lot about evoking awareness in our coachees, but something has to be different. Some behaviour has to change as a result of that evoking awareness. So I think the two things sit in parallel with each other.
2: Yeah, I agree, Avudi and Rebecca. And also, I think there's something around that pleasure point you talked on, Abudi, you know, doing the self-development because it is nice, because, oh, we can create a story that maybe justifies the narrative that's been going on. But is that right for our coaching work? Is that right for our clients? Is that right for the purpose? For me, that kind of all centers back to, are we linking self-awareness to our growth and to be in service of our clients? Rebecca, to pick up on something else, you also said that in this study, uh, something around managing anxiety, so it helped to manage anxiety. And I actually wonder whether, you know, one of the negative aspects of developing self-awareness, you know, do people become too aware of these anxieties? And, you know, maybe do we think too much? You know, do we make too many questions (laughs) about what we've done and what we've said Is that really the purpose then of this self-development exercise?
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, Verity. And and it's something that often comes up in, like, say, with our master's students. We talk a lot. uh, We've got a module on the master's programme called Becoming a Reflective Practitioner where As the name suggests, reflective practice is a core part of that module and really taking a deep dive into what it is and how it can help us as as coaches. And a question that almost invariably comes up every year is, is how to manage this tension between what I would call rumination and reflection. And I know Julia picks up on this in her PhD as well. So when does reflection stop being helpful and perhaps could even provoke anxieties a little bit more if you keep kind of having repeated thoughts about something that you've done or something you said and and really dwelling on that I think that's when it becomes rumination and and perhaps that can actually cause anxiety rather than reflection which could as the findings suggest perhaps help calm anxiety and I think for me part of I guess it does link to the purpose. What are we reflecting for? Have we got a clear purpose in mind to guide our reflection rather than just thinking over and over and over something that's happened without a clear purpose? But also the other thing that's important for reflection, for me personally, for it to be productive and help me to learn is is I have to have self-compassion with it as well. And that means sometimes, even through my reflective practice, I realized that perhaps I didn't do something as well as I could have, or I made a mistake, or I'm not just talking about coaching here, but any scenario, you know, we're not, we're not perfect, are we? Sometimes you do something, you think after, oh, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Or, you know, I was really tired today and I snapped at someone, or I made a judgment and you might reflect on that afterwards. If I don't have self-compassion, then I'm going to probably beat myself up about that and think, and think. I shouldn't have done that, I should have known better, and all of these unhelpful thoughts. And so I think that's where self-compassion comes in for me as well, to think, okay, I'm not perfect, I'm human, but I'm going to try and learn from this to do better next time.
1: I think that's a really interesting observation, Rebecca, and it makes me think that you could almost argue that self compassion could also be seen as narcissistic if it isn't for the sake of something. And I think it's really important that we as coaches model accepting ourselves as we are. So even if you think about managing anxieties, it's not about eliminating anxieties. You know, I'm still a very anxious person, and it's not just okay because it's okay for me to accept that about myself. But I think it also helps our clients accept that they're not perfect and that perfection isn't what coaching is about. So if we can accept our own humanity, our own flaws, anxieties, insecurities, whatever, then I think we also create a space for our coachees to be able to accept their own insecurities or anxieties and imperfections. So I think it's really important. Compassion in coaching is a sort of byproduct of this.
0: I always think that we talk about non-judgmental attitude all the time. And I think we have to embrace that for ourselves as well. No, I can't be non-judgmental towards my clients if I'm going to be judgmental towards myself. So I think I absolutely agree about role modeling. And then on the point about self-compassion, not being a narcissistic endeavor, I guess it's finding that balance between not just letting myself off everything, being a terrible person in the going but giving myself loads of self-compassion to let myself off but equally I think most of us would agree when we're coaching you do get that you have the privilege of, of having an insight into people's thoughts and feelings and what I know from doing this for a number of years is that most people don't do that most people are too hard on themselves they do beat themselves up too much and I you know I put myself in that camp as well And I think that's why I feel a bit more confident to promote self-compassion because I know that the majority of people aren't being too easy on themselves. That is, it's probably the reverse. Thanks for that I just wanted to pick up on one other point actually with this paper so in the paper towards the end of the paper Julia proposes a model which has four stages of coach development that four stages that coaches go through when they're developing self-awareness so stage one is about the mindset and being motivated to develop self-awareness stage two is about choosing a plan so how someone's going to develop self-awareness Stage three then is around developing a self-connection and then stage four is about developing the client connection. And there's lots of interesting stuff in that model but what I thought I'd pick up on here is around stage two. So in the paper it suggested that some of the ways that coaches might develop self-awareness can include personal reflection, 360 degree feedback, outputs from psychometrics Uh, feedback from clients and reflection with coaching supervisors. And I just wonder what both of your thoughts are on this. How have you
2: developed your self-awareness, for example? I think over the years, I've used all of those methods. (laughs) Some have been easier to accept and swallow and kind of linking back to that first point around having a purpose. Sometimes the easiest stuff... I'm probably not reflecting on and learning from as some of the deeper, maybe more challenging things. So for example, I know when I've had psychometric feedback before, it's like a report, you know, it's this piece of paper, it says, well, you're good at this, you're not so good at this. And that's almost like a justification. Okay, so I'm not good at that. Great, fine, put it in the can't do box, move on. But the coach in me (laughs) is coaching myself through that. But it took me a long time to get to that stage, whereas feedback from clients you know, the people I'm in most service for often for me prompts the most deepest form of self-awareness and how I show up as a coach because they're to me the ones that matter the most.
1: Whenever I think about this kind of question, Rebecca and Verity, I'm always reminded of something I heard Sir John Whitmore saying many years ago, that the difference between a good coach and a great coach isn't in coach training, it's ongoing work on yourselves. And I think that, this is my own opinion I suppose, I think supervision is only the start of a journey of reflection. The real work comes if you like beyond the professional because we are the instruments of our coaching therefore the self-reflection needs to be more than just if you like professional self-reflection but actually personal self-reflection and some of the biggest learnings for me have come for instance in being in a therapy group where people tell me exactly what it's like to be in relationship with me and it's unfiltered and it's raw because the feedback isn't coming from a supervisor or a therapist or a coach but from human beings who find aspects of my being problematic and i think that's where we really get to find out about ourselves and you know it doesn't have to be a therapy group it can be all kinds of settings but somewhere where we are getting an experience of what it is like for others to be in relationship with us because that's the stuff that will be in the background when we're with another human being in the professional setting of a coaching conversation
0: that's great. Thank you both. It was really, really great to hear your views on this. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for in this segment. But just to remind our listeners again, we were discussing the paper, Exploring the Role of Self-Awareness in Coach Development, a Grounded Theory Study by Carden and colleagues. And we'll share a link to the original paper in the show notes for this episode. <laughs>
1: So this is now the part of the podcast where we take a hot topic in coaching and share our views with the aim of provoking our thinking. This is the part we call Coaching at Henley Discusses and actually we're going to sort of follow on from the theme because we're going to be thinking about the question of supervision which of course is something we talk a lot about in our coaching programs. Many coaches are really aware of the importance of supervision as a vehicle of self-reflection and reflection on practice and yet Lots of coaches don't get supervision. So I'd be really interested to have a conversation with you, Rebecca and Verity, about what might be stopping coaches from availing themselves of a resource that we think is quite important, which is coaching supervision.
0: Yeah, this is such an interesting topic, Abudi. And just to highlight, I've certainly seen some research findings that suggest that there is a discrepancy here with coaches reporting how important they acknowledge supervision to be Yet the figures in terms of the number of coaches actually receiving regular supervision don't tie up because you'd assume that if people uh, on the whole say it's really important, that therefore the majority would be regularly in supervision. But that doesn't appear to be the case. So I think this is important for those of us in the coaching profession to consider why that might be. I mean, I guess the obvious elephant in the room, maybe or not so much, is cost. You know, times are hard for most people, coaches as well. Uh, if you don't know, you haven't got a guaranteed income or your income's being stretched, maybe the cost of supervision is something that it's, seen as something that could go perhaps for some people or or they just can't stretch to that.
2: Yeah, I agree, Rebecca. I think cost, you know, fundamentally does come down to it, the number of clients, you know, and the money ringing in versus the money that's going out. It's a business endeavour at the end of the day. But I think linking to that as well is this piece around accountability that we we touched on with Ashana briefly in our credentialing discussion earlier in the podcast. You know, if you're not a, a credentialed coach, then you don't need I say in italics to go and have supervision and even then you know there are there's different accountability requirements based on your training based on you know the credentialing body you go for or not and I think you know personally that just makes it a very muddy playing field as to you know what you need to do or not so yeah maybe (laughs) maybe there's something around that too I think that's an important point. And I just want to
0: say, I think at Henley, certainly we have a mixture of our colleagues. Some are very highly credentialed, as in they've reached the very top level of credentialing. We've got colleagues that have got credentialing from all of the different organisations, but equally we've got colleagues that aren't credentialed. And at the moment, I'm not credentialed with any of the coaching bodies. I'm a, I'm a chartered psychologist, but I'm not Uh, credentialed with the professional bodies and that that's something that I reflect on a lot around you know my reasons for that so I just wanted to put that out there that you know a part of our purpose is around provoking thinking and practice and and that's why we wanted to talk about this topic of credentialing so although I've got some kind of mixed views or developing views around credentialing i completely agree with your point there verity that i think one of the benefits of credentialing is that it does often bring in accountability for supervision which i think that's something that's quite important but abudi what what are your thoughts on this
1: Well, I suppose there's something about what is the value that people see in supervision. And I think that's something that coaching schools could do more to articulate. You know, I've been around the coaching profession for a very long time. And I remember at the beginning, like 25 years ago, there was very little emphasis on the self reflection of a coach and the self development of a coach. It was almost something transactional that you did and you just whizzed through your coaching clients. And there wasn't much space reflection. And something we talk a lot about in the coaching program at Henley is the importance of reflection. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the comment from Sir John Whitmore about the ongoing work on yourselves. So I think there's more work that we can do as educators to make people aware of why we would even bother with self-reflection, why supervision is important. And if people don't have that input, then that would diminish the value that they might see in supervision. I'm sorry.
2: And I I completely agree, Abudi. There's something there about identifying these misconceptions around coaching supervision maybe within coach training and working through those so that coaches do engage in lifelong supervision and that reflective practice and particularly something around the you know this purpose of coaching you know um so coaching supervision are coaches going to supervision you know why are they going you know are they going to get uh, support for specific issues a specific ethical dilemma or is it, you know, much deeper and but broader, I suppose? And is it for your own development?
0: Yeah, this is something that we talk about, again, on the Masters when uh, we talk about supervision and the importance of supervision. And, and I agree. I think if we can embed that in our coach development, then it be- just becomes normal practice. As you develop as a coach, this is just something, it's like a non-negotiable, it's something I have to do to ensure my effective practice. But one of those common misconceptions that we we come up against is that supervision is to discuss ethical dilemmas, problems, challenges. If you've got a, a coaching client that is a bit tricky and you're not quite sure what to do. And of course, that has got a place in supervision, but it's not the only function of supervision. It can be much more broadly about having a thinking partner who is a very experienced coach and trained as a supervisor to support your ongoing development and reflection and um, your self-awareness. And this links to another point, actually, that I was just thinking about, because we have a coaching, a certificate in coaching supervision at Henley. And I was talking to one of the recent students who'd recently completed that program. And she was very positive about the program and said, aside from training to be a supervisor, what she found is doing the supervision program really deepened her own self-awareness and practice as a coach. So I think that's one of those other benefits that I'm guessing, I'm not a coaching supervisor myself, but I'm guessing when you do become a supervisor, it really enables you to take your own practice to that next level in a very kind of structured way. And if you're able to keep discussing coaching practice with other coaches, you're you're continuing to reflect and develop as a coach yourself. I just thought that was something quite interesting that I hadn't really thought about before.
1: Yeah, I think it's really useful to think about moving away from this idea of supervision just being about problem solving or resolving ethical dilemmas to, you know, this thing of just this ongoing work that we do to, to up our game, to increase our self-awareness, et cetera. Unfortunately, though, that's about all we have time for in this discussion. So thank you, Rebecca and Verity.
0: So thank you to our guest, Ashana, and my co-hosts, Abudi and Verity. And thank you all for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching at Henley podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find our podcast, including other Henley business podcasts from your usual podcast provider. To make sure you never miss an episode. Don't forget to subscribe. We'd also love to hear from you. Tell us what you think about the podcast and please do send us any questions you'd like us to answer. You can email us via coachingpodcast at henley.ac.uk. Finally, you can connect with us on social media to make sure you stay up to date with any Coaching at Henley news. Find the link in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about Coaching at Henley Business School, check out our website.